I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Isaac. And you're listening to Gen Impact, a podcast of the Aptos Community Youth Program, where we provide entertaining and informative feedback for all audiences. Today, we are sitting down with Zach Friend, who serves as a second district supervisor for Santa Cruz County and is a resident of Aptos. Supervisor Friend represents us on the Board of Supervisors, which is a board that governs Santa Cruz County and overall is a major governing part, governing body in our community. Some of the duties of the Board of Supervisors include creating policies and approving budgets that help our county operate well and serve the residents of our community. As youth leaders, it is important for us to understand the structure of power that we are a part of. Our district supervisors are here for our community and therefore here for us. By speaking to our district supervisor, we can affect change in our community and bring light to issues that otherwise may not have been noticed. And that is why we are excited to join our special guest today, Mr. Friend. Welcome to Gen Impact, Supervisor Friend. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be on with both of you and to have a conversation with you today. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself to start off. Uh, Where did your career really begin and how did you get into public policy and government work? So there wasn't a specific date or time when I decided that I was interested in working on community-based projects and government work, but I've always been somebody that's been interested in helping others. And I also had uh, a real fascination with history, which is something that I studied in college. And I realized that history really is just the study of governmental decisions in many ways. And you could either just be a student of it, or you could actually be somebody who tries to make an impact in the community that you live and the community that you love. And I started to get involved in different ways. I first started uh, helping out and volunteering with some nonprofits in my community. Uh, That was in San Diego where I grew up. And then I ended up up here, my very first Uh, official government job outside of political campaigns and politics was with the city of Santa Cruz. And from that point on, uh, it just became something that I absolutely loved, especially local government, which is one of those places where I feel like you can still make a real difference and be away from some of the noise that I think that has turned a lot of people off from what they view to be government at the federal level, a lot of the infighting that we see um, on TV and across the internet. So I would say that Um, If somebody is interested in this world, one of the best things that they can do is recognize that you have agency now and you don't need to wait. And especially at the local level, you can legitimately make a big impact on something that you're interested in. Don't assume that just because um, there's a problem that somebody's thought of the solution or don't think for that matter that um, I've even been made aware of it or some other decision maker has been made aware of it. So having that kind of activity and that involvement can really make a big difference and it can do it in a very short amount of time. I think that's very powerful to hear, uh, especially as youth leaders, uh, myself and Elizabeth, um, we interact with a lot of youth every day, uh, obviously being youth. And a lot of people think that just because, you know, they're young or like that they're from an insignificant area in Aptos or Watsonville, um, that their issues don't matter. Um, or like that they're too small uh, to bring issues to light. So I think it's uh, really powerful that we heard that from our supervisor. Well, Isaac, well, let me let me build on that a little bit. I mean, how do you think I would know about challenges that especially the youth face or interests that they would have? I mean, but but for getting that kind of feedback, I've got a six-year-old son. He's got no issue telling me about what he thinks about our local parks. But, but I don't have a 10-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 25-year-old that I'm engaging with on a regular basis. So if people don't take that agency, 
um, it, it's, you know, things are going to get lost and, and this is your community as much as it's mine. And if you, this is a place that you want to stay in or come back to, maybe if you go away to college or whatever it may be, there's a lot of things that we need to make better. And for example, I mean, the, the skate park right by uh, St. John's, for example, was really came out of youth in especially and and lisa's aware of this but especially within around 12 to 14 12 to 16 saying we do not have an outlet and reaching out to some people that were willing to help fund it people coming to me saying what's possible and over the course of just nine months from beginning to end us creating an entire new skate park that has really transfer transformed opportunities for people that are interested at least in that subject matter now that's a small thing but it's a big thing for those people that are interested in it, and it wouldn't have happened uh, but for that energy and also people saying, hey, I need a place to skate. As simple as that. And, and how do we change that process? Yeah, um, and I love that idea of talking to youth. Um, and I really think that starts uh, in youth programs, in schools, um, teachers talking to their students, figuring it out, maybe kicking it up the chain of command, um, or in youth programs um, and youth getting involved in programs like the Youth Action Network, um, like Aptos Community Youth Program, uh, like COPA, that interact with um, governing bodies to affect change in policy, um, to get things done, like the skate park. Um, and I think it's up to us as youth um, to talk to people like you. So yeah, I'm glad that you guys are willing to listen. Yeah, it's great that you guys are getting involved in so many different parts of the youth program. If you had one piece of advice for the youth in our community, what what would it be? I would say to recognize that you're, you do have agency now. I think to some of the point that was raised earlier, sometimes people think that they don't have a voice or uh, because look, the things that we do can be seem really formal, they can seem really distant, they can seem really remote. Um, we meet during the day when you're in school, for example, or some people think of elected officials as people that can't be outreached to, or because you're not old enough to be registered to vote, they think that people don't care. And it really just doesn't work that way. Um, in, in the reality, we need information from everybody we can get, and we need experts in all worlds, and youth are expert at youth-related interests and needs. The flip side of that, though, Elizabeth, is that you also have to be willing to listen to what the process is, what the challenges are, the context, because that's how we learn to actually effectuate change. There may be a reason why something hasn't happened that somebody wants. Maybe it has been thought of, or maybe it hasn't. Or maybe it will happen, but it's gonna take a couple of years. Maybe there's environmental laws that slow something down. Maybe there's a, a limited amount of money. Maybe there's uh, maybe something can only be built in a certain location based on zoning laws. And so there's a lot of things to also learn about, but. But that doesn't mean the conversation can't happen. So there has to, sometimes things can happen quickly, like the skate park, and sometimes uh, there's a patience that needs to be involved in an understanding. But remember also that you have agency now to inform things that we can change together, but it may not even impact you because you may outgrow the interest in that, but you've just set the stage for the next set of people right behind you to not face the same problems you did, which I think is probably one of the biggest gifts we can do when we get involved in public services, change the situation for the next set of people after us. I think that point is really interesting that you just made that we can start at something that maybe other people aren't very aware of and it might, the problem might go away itself, but we can do something about it if we really care about it at that point in our life. Um, because I've, 
I remember like being like a tiny sixth grader and thinking that something in my school needed to be changed. And I remember thinking to myself, how in the world am I going to get this done? I am a tiny little human. No one is going to listen to me. How am I possibly going to be able to fix this huge part of my school? And I think it's interesting that you say that we have a sense of agency and we need to have that um, to speak up. And I think I really missed that when I was little. And especially now, too. Well, Elizabeth, let me tell you a story about my very, very, very first experience outreaching to government. This isn't necessarily what got me involved in it, but it, I think it speaks to what you're saying. I was growing up in San Diego, and there was a local library that was that we went to all the time. I mean, all the time to get books up the street from my house. And it was slated to be closed because of budget cuts. And this is a long time ago. I mean, this is, I'm 42, so this is like 35 or whatever years ago. And I asked my mom what I could do. They had signs up saying, you know, that the library is going to be closed and, and, and fight for the library to stay open. But I didn't know what that meant. And so my mom said, um, why don't you write your local city council member? And at that time, the city council in San Diego, actually probably still now, they were also the library board members, the people who could make this decision. So I wrote a letter as a fourth grader to my local city council member, and um, she called my mom and asked if she could come speak to my elementary school about this. And they made a kind of a large event out of it. All the media came. And long story short, that, that library is still open today. And the library is still open today in large part because of her work, but it was, she had a second set of voices of a lot of youth standing up that made the decision harder to shut it at that time. Now, I didn't understand budgets. I didn't, under, I just knew that they were closing my local library, but I was in fourth grade. And, and so if you see something, you got to say something and, and it's okay to speak up and you'll learn about the context of it maybe, or maybe you've actually hit a nerve or provided the, the, the uh, influence in a way that can totally change the policy on it. And that's, it doesn't matter what your age is in that situation. Um, I think that there's no difference between sixth grade, fourth grade and being 40. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, on sort of a different note here, I want to ask you what a major change, like we talked about um, something that someone brought up maybe that you've seen in our community recently? And what would you like to see change in our community? I think that one of the things that I'm most nervous about is the cost of living and the inability for people that grow up here, are born here, grow up here. This becomes where all their connection is, their friends are. They don't have a home here once they're old enough to live on their own because they can't afford it. And you are seeing this playing out where everyone's kids and grandkids are going away to school or to trade school or some other opportunity, and they just don't come back because they can't, and they can't afford it. So my, the biggest change I've noticed, this is not new to the area that it costs a lot of money to live here, but what's happened just in the last 10 years is incomprehensibly difficult for people. Um, and what I see is that for you or for my six-year-old, I don't see where the future for him is in this community unless there's a pretty major intervention. And the intervention isn't just government-based. It has to be community-based. There's a lot of opposition to change in Santa Cruz County, period. People, don't, people have this vision of the community as to whatever it was they saw when they first moved in, and they don't like 
some things to change. I mean, Elizabeth, look, there was there was opposition to the skate park. There was opposition to that entire park being built from neighbors who liked that it was an empty field. And now you see how there's all these families that are able to have a safe environment there. The same thing to me is how I view housing. So I think that the biggest change has just been that we're pricing people out. The biggest thing that's that's going to change is what that means to the community and who's going to be allowed to live here. Is it just going to be a bedroom community for the rich? What about the employees that work in our local agricultural fields or our local restaurants or just are uh, starting off young families that are trying to start off? And what are we going to do in the next 10 years to change that? I think that that is probably the biggest question we face on top of existential questions of climate change and other <laughs> things. I think that, that just from a real micro level, the housing situation is the biggest issue. Okay. Um, moving forward a little bit, um, as youth, uh, most of us aren't as tuned in to those housing issues um, that are on a larger scale for us, um, but we are in tune with the school issue. Um, and we've we've been in online learning for the past two years. Um, and we as students speak to that. Uh, we can speak to the difficulty of online learning. We have spoken about it. Um, but I'm interested to, uh, to hear what what concerns you've heard from youth um, and what actions have you taken based on these concerns? Well, I do hear from youth concerned about distance learning, I'll tell you that, and, and uh, issues especially in regards to uh, behavioral health and mental health challenges as a result of it. Um, the county has a direct influence in programs like that, both funding and otherwise. So there has been an increase in the kind of outreach we do, uh, in particular, our partnership with PVPSA, Power Valley Prevention Student Assistance, and some of our now mobile uh, behavioral health programs that we've created. It's called MERT. Uh, I think it's called the, emergent, the Mental Health Emergency Response Team or something. And that was, in large part, a direct result of youth saying there weren't enough services and working with PVPSA, able to expand services. I mean, this is behind the curve. This is kind of reactionary, but at least it's happening, right? And it's not the only thing, but, I, but I'm on, a, on a scale of what does the county do, right? I mean, if the county provide, the county's a state agency functionally. If it just, I guess maybe we should have started this way. It's like, what is the role of a county supervisor and like, what, a, what does the county do? But, um, we're unique in Santa Cruz County in that the county provides frontline services that generally most counties don't provide, like roads and police protection. Most places, cities handle those things, so it's a very different structure. We're meant to be a rural um, service provider. We're meant to be something that focuses on health and human services and indigent care and, and jails and, and other services that normally would... and. Uh, but in Santa Cruz County, because half the population lives in the unincorporated or county jurisdiction, uh, we also provide frontline services, which is why our roads don't look so good and other things, because we're really not set up to do things like that. But getting back to then what, so the youth would normally be speaking to a county not about parks, <laughs> because we wouldn't be providing them like a city would, but in our area and in Aptos, uh, that is what we do. And, um, so what we've heard locally in the way that we've had responses, um, for me, the biggest questions have been around behavioral health and they've been around, um, they've also been around uh, park related improvements. And so we built Seacliff Park as a result of that. We installed, it doesn't sound very um, like something you want to 
press release, but we put bathrooms in at the polo grounds. You know, for 30 years, people were having to use porta potties. This was all out of young people saying, especially at that point, Little League saying, hey, I don't like going to the bathroom in the local woods. Can you at least provide us with some bathrooms? And so we raised uh, through the community a quarter of a million dollars to do that. But th these things, again, it's like we, we're dealing with so much without that voice saying, this is really important to us. Um, those things probably wouldn't get done. I mean, because there's just an unlimited number of things that do need to be improved upon. So I, I would say that that those that the voices, the strongest voices, have been within parks and behavioral health, but they're not exclusive. I mean, we've held community meetings at Aptos High about public safety and student safety uh, with the sheriff's office and others, where students didn't feel safe a few years ago due to some incidents, and ensuring uh, the conversations around having a student excuse me, a school resource officer and the appropriateness of that um, after what happened in Minneapolis in the sense of whether there's over-policing. These are all direct conversations with youth about how, how do you want the, the, your school to look from a safety standpoint? Who do you want to be on campus? Those are influencing public policy decisions based on, on their outreach. Okay, based on that, um, I really want to emphasize the importance of youth voice again here uh, for all of our youth listening. Um, but based on that, how do you see our district changing in the next 10 years? I mean, the, the truth is, I, I just don't know. I mean, some of it is is going to be dependent on whether we create an environment with jobs and housing that people can actually survive here that aren't rich, basically. Um, and uh, right now, it's not a great trajectory for that. So I think that this is the time, if people want to shape it, and part of this, I would actually ask your listeners, what do you want to see in 10 or 20 years? If you lived here and you were 40, what does the community look like to you? Does it, um, does it look the way it currently does? does? Is the highway wider? Is there a, a, a trail that people are running along? Is there better options at Aptos Village so you actually have some places that you want to eat at? Or uh, does it have nightlife? Are the parks looking different? Are they more, more focused on soccer or baseball or football or whatever, tennis? Um, what do the beaches look like? These are all things that, because they can take so long to plan for, we have to have that conversation now. And then the second thing that you would ask yourself is, what don't you want it to look like? And are there ways that we can prevent some changes? Now, with that said, you, you, I'm concerned about people being very exclusionary and not allowing other people to come in in the sense of like, well we're here and nobody else is allowed in, I mean, then none of us would have been here, right? So we have to be, but if we think about some things we may not want are pollution on the beach or plastic pollution, or maybe we don't want the landfill to be overrun or whatever. So you start thinking about environmental programs, but these are the two tracks you would take. You would say, what, what vision do I want? What, I mean, what looks good for, if I had a family here and I had a kid, my kid was growing up here, what didn't I have that I think would make their life amazing? But the second part of that is what elements of my experience in this community were so special, we need to make sure that we preserve those things. And they may all require public policy decisions to both maintain and build upon um, that require actions starting now. You mentioned, for example, with um, the housing problem, how, is, how are we able to make sure that that doesn't become in, even more of an issue? Do we go to, for example, like your office and talk to them? Or is it more of a, um, we need to talk to state? What is the, what is a way that we can do that 
easily? So I would, I mean, I would say that uh, there's a couple of different approaches here. First, there are factors outside of the county and local government's control that, I mean, I can't control the beauty of the area that makes it desirable to live here. I can't control the topography, which means that, you know, unlike some areas that may have sprawl, for example, um, which I'm not advocating for, but you, you can't really build in certain places in our county because we have agricultural lands, we have hills, we have places that don't really allow for it. Um, so the first thing you have to say is that what is within our control? And some of the things that are within our control are how are we making it difficult to buy, to build affordable housing? And, and I think historically the answer to that's been yes. And so one thing I think we need to do is allow for the construction of more affordable housing units. Um, units that maybe are more along transportation corridors that use less water. Maybe they're not all single family homes with lawns and stuff, but instead are more affordable condos and apartments along transportation corridors, like a lot of places um, both across the country and across Europe do. And then uh, we have to start thinking about the population, which is actually getting older um, in our county and how do we take care of seniors or allow your parents or my parents to be able to age in place safely? Do we need more senior related housing or uh, wraparound services for them? Or maybe we allow those um, called accessory dwelling units, sometimes called granny units, the small flats that people put in their backyard or convert their garage into. And are there policy decisions that can help those things happen? Um, and we are doing all of those things right now and the state is also making decisions that encourage these things meaning that they actually require us to do some of this stuff so the housing challenge is we have both a supply issue and a demand issue i've heard some people say we just have a demand issue because the demand out but, but that's a false argument in my opinion because we didn't build enough to maintain even our current population levels so we have both a supply issue because we haven't built affordable housing especially in Aptos and other areas. I mean, it's all been in the southern portion of the county and Watsonville and such. Then as a result, people live further away, Elizabeth, from their jobs and schools and other things that they need, and, and you end up with traffic issues. These, are, these things are all interrelated. If you only allow affordable housing in one portion of the county and all the jobs are in the other portion of the county, I don't have to explain to you why Highway 1 is a parking lot. But yet we don't have these conversations on that broad of a level. Instead, we just say, we need to do something about transportation, but it's not that simple because if people still have to drive 25 miles to their job, we're going to have those issues. So it's just looking at the interrelationship between the things. Um, and then I would say building more affordable housing and moving those job centers around in a way that allows people to not have to drive as far to their, where they live and work. We talked a little bit earlier um, about education um, and schools. Uh, and I'm interested to know what your role um, as a county supervisor is um, in the education system um, and like working with schools? So I don't have a direct role. The school districts are independent, but I do have a very reasonable support role. I work very closely with uh, the principals of the schools within my district, like Aptos High and, and, and uh, Will soon now with the new from one from Aptos Junior, Pajaro Valley High and other locations. But I also work very closely with the superintendent and um, the county office of education superintendent, because there's a lot of intersection of needs. Um, as I'd mentioned before, the sheriff's office had been historically providing public safety. That's a county function. The roads coming in and out of the schools are county functions. And just a couple of years ago during the storms, we lost a massive road going into Valencia Elementary. And you may remember that the 
you know, the students ended up having to go to Cabrillo College for half a year, which was not an ideal situation. So we have a, a pretty significant partnership we work on, and I serve and sit on various committees actually with them. Um, Pajaro Valley Unified has a joint committee with myself, members of the Watsonville City Council, and others just to talk about these interrelated issues. I serve on a criminal justice reform committee with the superintendent of schools, Ferris Sabah, and they talk about issues on, on uh, behavioral health issues, ensuring that we provide that kind of need for local schools. So while I'm not directly funding the schools, I'm not making any policy decisions that directly, uh, it's providing a supportive structure around them so that schools themselves can succeed. Uh, that's, that's really helpful to know um, because I know as we start school uh, in the next few weeks here, uh, I'm certain that we're going to have a lot of needs popping up uh, from students uh, around the county of all different age groups. Um, and to know that structure and support system um, that is helping them uh, would be extremely helpful for them. So, yes, thank you. <laughs> I was a part of the Valencia School situation with the road. Um, and going to the high school was definitely uh, an experience for a fifth grader. Yeah, um, so we can switch into a little bit of a different topic now. Um, starting off with this question, um, what does leadership mean to you? I think leadership's making the right decision irrespective of whether it's popular or not. Um, simplest way is kind of doing the right thing no matter who's looking, but to me, elected officials struggle a lot with a lot of people showing up in a room saying that they want something done. That in and of itself doesn't make it right. Um, I think one of the best examples of that would be civil rights related issues. If you had done everything by popular vote in the South in the 1960s, I, I don't think you would have the same situation that we have. Uh, it took the Supreme Court and other federal um, policymakers to actually make decisions to kind of override that. So leadership is, is really, I mean, you're put into these positions um, if leadership in specific to an elected position, leadership is broader than that, obviously, but for your judgment and you have to do things that are unpopular, but they are right in the long term or what you believe I should say is right in the long term. And, and you will receive a lot of pushback from it. This is not an easy job. People are not always, um, pleasant. I mean, they, there's a lot of pushback and, and, uh, there's a lot of emotion involved, especially in the last year where people were just scared of, of, of their safety and they continue to be. So I think though leadership requires you to, if you've been given the, the some sort of position of decision-making to do that and, and to do the right thing, whether or not it's popular, whether or not it's what some people support. And um, you can take that on in any other context that you're in. I mean, if you're a student, you, you sometimes are asked to do things in your peer network that you know aren't the right thing to do. Um, We've all were faced with it. And, you know, leadership might not mean that you influence the others in that situation, but you're taking self-leadership and, and making the right decision, even when it may not be popular at that moment. Um, I, I imagine that both you and Elizabeth um, already make those right decisions based on the fact that you're doing a podcast like this. But um, that, to me, that's what this, that's what it really is. Okay. And uh, I heard you mention uh, youth leadership a little bit. Um, and also earlier in the podcast, uh, you mentioned like how you started. Um, as as a teenager um, or as a youth, what was your what was your role with leadership? Um, were you involved with 
youth programs such as ours, um, or how how did you start as a as a youth leader? Well, when I was in, I went to school, high school in San Diego, and I started. Um, I was really at the time uh, I was really actively involved in a nonprofit called Mama's Kitchen. Mama's Kitchen has since expanded to other services, but at the time would provide meals and on Fridays it would provide groceries to uh, homebound AIDS patients. And I was attending a um, Catholic school actually in for high school and we had a service function as part of the high school where you would um, actually you would as part of religion class you'd actually uh, for two years would do service instead. And I started a service program of doing uh, of having people volunteer for an hour during that service class down at Mama's Kitchen. So you would you would bag hot meals, or you'd box hot meals and bag groceries. And it was not um, popular. I mean, in the sense I we received, I personally received uh, pushback from some of the other parents and then the the school administration because of concern over uh, having uh, kids work or youth work around AIDS patients, and also there was questions about the morals around that. This is a long time ago. The, the attitudes of these issues have changed. But we had a school gathering and discussion about it, and to my school's credit, by the way, they stood behind what I was doing from a service perspective. But you had asked about youth agency and youth leadership. I mean, at the time, it's tough to have parents tell you that they don't um, want you to do this. My parents didn't, I mean, they supported it, but other parents feel like, uh, these kinds of things or that, that, you know, their kids may quote unquote, catch AIDS from going to doing something like this because the knowledge base wasn't what it is now. And then the questions about morality, um, at that time, you know, AIDS had a disproportionate amount of people that were both either intravenous drug users, or maybe they were, um, you know, same sex couples, but either way, these are people that were suffering and they needed some help and love. And to me, I felt that that was one of the key tenets that I had felt was being taught in Catholic school. So you, you still have to stand up if you feel like it's the right thing to do, even if the network around you doesn't necessarily see it that way. And here that nonprofit is 30 years later, or whatever it is, 20 years later, surviving, providing not just HIV and AIDS things, but, but a, to a broader uh, list of people that are homebound, and it's been a successful nonprofit as a result, not because of my work, but because of, but th those kinds of things have informed my decision-making process, that things are going to be hard, you're going to get pushback when you're standing up, and you're the only one out there, but um, I look back at that from 20 whatever years ago and realize that I'm, I'm proud of the decision I made as a high schooler to say, no, I think this is the right thing to do, and I'm going to keep doing it. Wow, uh, I think that's a really great story. Um, and I think a lot of what you talked about here today uh, all comes back to agency. Um, and I, I think that's a really powerful thing today um, as youth. I know there's a lot of emotion um, involved with a lot of the issues going on right now um, that youth have. And sometimes you can get really caught up in that, in those issues. And uh, addition of emotion, um, it can be hard to get things done. And I think going back to agency um, and speaking out and like really talking to the right people really getting things done, um, making a plan and just executing, uh, I think really is important for youth. Love your story uh, because it shows that you had perseverance, agency. You were really willing to fight past um, all that pushback and all that emotion. So I think that's really valuable.
Thank you. I don't know if we have time for another question, but I'm going to ask another question because I'm very curious. What does a perfect day in Santa Cruz County look like to you? A perfect day in Santa Cruz, to me, tends to, for whatever reason, end up being the exact same thing. Because since I have a six-year-old, mm. it's, um, it ends up at a park. And I, I personally really like going to Seascape Park because you can walk along the bluffs. You generally see dolphins or whales, and it's, it feels like it's always perfect temperature. But in Santa Cruz, it is one of the few areas where you can do, you can be at the mountains, where he likes to look for banana slugs. You can be at the ocean. You can be out in Corlitos at the egg fields. And during apple harvest season, he likes to pluck apples. But so to me, the perfect day is obviously spending it with my family, but using something outside in nature here, we're just really, really blessed to have uh, the natural surroundings that we have. Just for those of you that maybe haven't traveled much yet, just know that this is not normal. What we, the gifts that we're given here do not exist in a lot of places in the country, and we're very lucky to have them, and we need to preserve them and also enjoy them from an outside perspective. So I was talking about how the road completely washed out because of the rain, and that led me to think sort of about the environmental causes and how much you've done for the environment in different areas. Um, what do you think is our logistics role in reversing the effects of climate change, even though we are not a big area? What do you think we can do to help? That's a great question. So let me say that this is twofold, though. One of them is that we, I mean, we received sort of biblical level rains at that time, right? And that's a climate change related issue. But we also were doing it off of infrastructure from the 1920s. So the, the culvert that failed 55 or 58 feet below Valencia Road was made of redwood. That's when it was built in the 1920s. And so that's how old some of these pipes are underneath these roads. And you saw what happened as a result that it was a monumental process with me traveling to D.C. a lot and Sacramento a lot to actually get, to, to get it done as soon as we were able to get it done. But you're, you're right, we've got a climate change issue, we also have an infrastructure-related issue, and they come to head and, at the same time. So I think that locally what we can do is, A, what we don't have an issue with is people recognizing that this is real. That, that is not the case in a lot of places in the country, so that's a real win. But the, the flip side of that is that some of the things that we do, Elizabeth, from a policy perspective, have to change. I mean, those, those coastal bluffs, they're going to continue to erode. There's a lot of homes. Rio del Mar, uh, Seacliff, Seascape, and places throughout La Selva Beach, places throughout our district that, uh, you know, there's going to be real questions about what, how, how would you, how do you address the shoring up of those hillsides or do you let them rebuild uh, when this, when these things are retreating? So from a, I think from a climate change perspective, what we can do in our district is recognize that the planning may mean also a change in what we're used to. In, in some of the, the ways that people currently access the beach, some of the current locations people live. And those are really hard discussions that are in some respects being led by the California Coastal Commission, but we are a major player on where we're making decisions right now about how 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, those areas along the coast will look different as a, as a result of sea level rise and climate change and how do we plan for it. But as an individual, since, I mean, the one thing that I got to say that, that you and your uh, 
your colleagues, your friends and, and youth have way over people like me and people older than me is that you recognize this is a massive, massive issue because this is your future as much, even more so than it's mine. And, and you absolutely should be kicking down our doors to make sure that we're doing more to plan for it, be it on plastic mitigation. I have an item on, on the board meeting on Tuesday for more of another plastic reduction item um, because we shouldn't have single-use plastics really pretty much anywhere within our county. And, and, and when we do things locally, it actually can lead to things across the country. So anyway, my, my point is I think that, that, uh, that if this is your issue, speak up. Recognize, though, that, that policies that we have today may, are going to impact things moving forward. And uh, just also remember that what we do in this district and in this county has been replicated, especially on the environmental side across the state and country. So just think about how cool it is that you can do something at the county level that becomes state policy, that becomes federal policy because you spoke up. That is not out of the question. In fact, I can name a couple examples where that's exactly what's happened here. That's pretty great that it's just a, a chain of events, a chain of activism. Our signature question uh, to kind of cap off the podcast, what inspires you to do the work that you do? Just feeling that I've been blessed to live here, coastal California, San Diego, my most of my life, other than uh, when I was away at grad school and some other times. And if you are given an opportunity, which is a huge privilege to represent people and to create policy, just think about, when I was growing up, I never thought about the people that made the decisions so I could play on the local baseball fields, the public baseball fields that I grew up on. I didn't think about the parks that I used to go to. There was a little lake I used to go fish in. I never thought about that those were all decisions made by somebody before me. And now that I'm in a position where I can be making those decisions for other people, uh, what really motivates me is recognizing that I can set the stage for kids that aren't even born yet in a way that they can experience this community in a, in a more equitable and better way than uh, even I faced it. And that's a, a pretty remarkable privilege. It's a pretty remarkable responsibility, but it's a huge privilege. And we, I'm not going to get it right every time, but I think that we can make it way better I mean, it's already great. So just think about that. I mean, you've got a great situation, but we can make it even better uh, with what we're doing. And I think that government is a real way to do that. And I would really encourage people listening to not give up on the idea of, of working for a local government, not give up on the idea of the political process. You don't have to run for office. You don't have to serve as a staff person. You don't have to do those things. But they, it does just imagine that every decision I make every single day is exclusively for the community I live in. A lot of people can't say that. So give it a shot if it's something that's interest to you uh, to consider this kind of world. And, and that's what motivates me going forward is that I have that privilege. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And also thank you, everybody that is listening right now. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. And I appreciate the fact that um, all of you are tuning into this and trying to expand your ideas and understanding. And let me also leave you with this. Um, I'm not just somebody that goes on to a podcast. If you want to contact me directly, do it. My phone number is 454-2200, and my email is zach, Z-A-C-H, dot friend, at santacruzcounty.us. I'm also on social media, but I'm not as cool as any of you, so I'm not on it all the time. So just send me an email. I promise it doesn't go to some random place. It actually comes directly to me. I check it all, and I respond to them all personally. If you got a question, you got a thought, you want to get involved, if there's something that doesn't feel right in your community you want to make better or you just um, or maybe there's something that does feel right that you want to keep the way it is, drop me a line. I, I would appreciate hearing from you. 
Thank you, Mr. Friend. Um, our conversation today was inspiring to say the least. Um, and we look forward to working with you again. Thank you.